You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we've got complete analysis of the giant shakeup. We're going to take you round the league with DJ Shockley, the former Falcons quarterback, and preview Monday Night Football between the Steelers and the Bengals. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with former Raiders CEO and CBS Sports Analyst Amy Trask. Amy, thanks so much for taking the time. How are you today? Oh, boy. Thanks for having me, man. I always enjoy uh, joining you, and I'm doing well. Thank you. It is our pleasure. Got to start in New York. What's your reaction to how the last seven days have played out for the Giants? First, the news they had benched Eli Manning, and now Ben McAdoo and GM Jerry Reese both are out. Well, um, you know, John Mara used the word spinning out of control or spiraling out of control when he addressed the media today. I don't know precisely the words, but it was one of those two expressions. And they obviously decided to make an in-season change rather than waiting out the remainder of the season, which is rather uncharacteristic for the Giants. But I think we all saw the proverbial writing on the wall as to what would happen after the season. As to the Eli situation, um, you know, Two-time Super Bowl MVP, 210 consecutive starts. Uh, The situation was handled very, very, very poorly. That said, those situations are never easy to handle. Always, always tough when an organization transitions. But as noted, I don't know that they could have handled it much more poorly than they did. Yeah, I mean, they, they really handled that one pretty poorly, and I think they're going to end up suffering, I think, at the end of the year because I don't think Eli's going to be there with them, Amy. But uh, I want to talk about a guy who will end up being with his team next year. That's Russell Wilson uh, putting on a phenomenal oh, display of a game uh, last night. And, and to see him do it without a running game, I think is, is unquestionably uh, one of the best performances by a quarterback in the game today considering he's the leading rusher on the team. Do you think he deserves to be in the conversation of the MVP? It would be impossible for me to agree with you any more than I agree with you. I am grinning from ear to ear as you're speaking, Cordell. Mm -hmm. Um, That, to me, is the definition of a most valuable player. He is clearly the most valuable player to his team. Not only does he have no running game, the offensive line has been doing an abysmal job of Protecting, you know, pass protection has been non-existent at times. There's no run blocking, which is why there's no run game. I would posit for your consideration the following statement. Any other quarterback behind that line um, could not be doing, or, you know, most other quarterbacks, almost every other quarterback, I'm sure we could think of one or two um, that are in the league now. But to do what he is doing with that offensive line is it's just sensational, and I do think that he defines MVP. Amy, let's draw on your time in Oakland. Rich Gannon bounced around the league, got starting opportunities, but could never sustain it, wound up playing for the Raiders, and transformed himself into a league MVP. Do you see any parallels between Gannon's odyssey to what's going on with Case Keenum now in Minnesota? Cordell and I have a difference of opinion when it comes to can Case keep it going. I need to see more. Cordell's a big fan. But if I'm just looking for a precedent, Gannon came to mind because Keenum has had chances, hasn't been able to hold on to the job, and now he's playing sensational football for the Vikings. He is, but it's more than just Keenum. 
you know, he is, I, I don't want to take away from what he's doing because he's not getting them into trouble. He's not undermining what they're building around him. He's not, you know, making the mistakes that could do away with all the other things they're doing so well. But Minnesota's offensive line has just been dominating in some of the games this year. And, you know, again, I don't want to minimize what Keenum is doing, but sometimes you want a quarterback there who just doesn't make mistakes, and he hasn't, and I hope this doesn't jinx him, he hasn't been making those sorts of mistakes. But Minnesota as a whole is a very, very balanced team. They're playing well on defense. They're playing well on offense. The line has been dominating at times. Um, That whole team seems to be firing on all cylinders. And what do we know about playing quarterback? And look at me telling Cordell about playing quarterback. That's kind of rich, isn't it? Um, What's a quarterback's best friend? A running game. What's a quarterback's best friend? A sensational defense. And Minnesota's putting a lot of things together. Yes, they are. Tell me about the AFC West. Kansas City started off undefeated for the first five games, and and now all of a sudden we sit here where there's three teams sitting there right now at six and six, and one of those teams is the Chargers. Their momentum is is unbelievable right now, and I and I said, you know what? With that momentum, I feel this team can actually win this division because I think both Oakland and Kansas City is struggling right now. How do you think this division end up when it comes down to winner of that division? You may well be right, and of course, uh, I'm going to say San Diego for a moment because it was San Diego back in 1992 when this happened. The Chargers have experience with that. In 92, they started 0-4 and went on to win the division. So um, I'm not suggesting that the heck, some of the players on the team probably weren't even born then if I do the math. But my point is it's been done before in the AFC West, and the Chargers are the team that did it. Kansas City did roar out to that 5-0 and start that you just referenced. And, you know, the thing about that is, is they pocketed those wins. When we discussed the, the season early, early, early on, and people say, oh, it's early, oh, it's early, I always respond, and that's when you want to stockpile wins. If you can get some early, early wins before teams figure out who you are and before teams really gel, well, you've got those stockpiled for the end of the season. So, yeah, Kansas City is stumbling for surely sure, but it did stockpile those early wins. And who knows, does this division come down to December 31st when the Oakland Raiders visit the Los Angeles Chargers in Carson? Maybe it does. Oakland goes this week to Kansas City for what's a very, very important game now. Taking you around the league with our friend Amy Trask of CBS Sports. Check her out on that other pregame show this Sunday, every Sunday throughout the regular season and playoffs on the CBS Sports Network. Amy, let's focus on the other team playing well in Los Angeles. Great storylines to dissect across the NFL, but do you think the turnaround of the Rams could be the best story of them all this year as they get set to host the Eagles in a juicy matchup on Sunday? Oh, it is juicy. Great word choice. Um, It certainly could be. And, you know, first of all, I would be remiss if I don't note that Jared Goff went to my alma mater, the University of California. So I just kind of had to get that little push in there for our Cal Bears. Uh, Last year, when Sean McVay made two decisions with respect to his coaching staff, I said, these are tremendous, tremendous decisions that set this team up to win. One was going out and hiring Wade Phillips as a defensive coordinator. And the thing that struck me is Sean McVay, at the time he made that hire, the youngest head coach in the NFL, 
he may still be. I don't know if someone hired after him might be slightly younger. But if he's not the youngest, he's one of the two youngest. And he wasn't hesitant at all. He had the confidence and the maturity and the wisdom to go out and hire the best defensive coordinator candidate out there, notwithstanding that he was a man four decades his senior who had been a head coach. In other words, McVeigh didn't feel threatened by that. He went out and got the best guy for the job. And he did something else. He retained a gentleman that when we had him on our staff, we all called Bones, John Fossil, who I think is the best special teams coordinator in the league. And again, McVeigh could have been nervous, could have been insecure and said, I don't want to retain a guy who was the interim head coach after the firing of Jeff Fisher. I want a new guy, but he knew how good bones was and he retained them. So I think McVeigh is doing everything right. And they're an exciting team to watch. Aaron Rodgers is around the corner waiting to have his opportunity to start. If Hundley can pull off the next two games, the Cleveland Browns, the Carolina Panthers, all of a sudden here comes Aaron Rodgers. Do you think they can pull off potentially being the wild card team to maybe make it to the postseason? Well, look at that. We have a nice segue. Jared Goff, Aaron Rodgers, both Cal Bears. How about that? Why don't my Bears ever play as well on Saturday as their alums seem to do on Sunday? Uh, <laughs> Um, But I love them. I love my Bears. Look, you're absolutely right, Cordell. Um, I think that the team is energized knowing they're getting Rodgers back, perhaps for those last two weeks or so of the season. Hundley is getting better. And if they can keep a little bit of momentum going while they're waiting for Rodgers, um, it it makes – maybe they are a wild card. It makes for an exciting race down the stretch. And I would never, ever, ever count out a team with Rodgers under center – but I do think there's other holes on that team that will have to be addressed. Amy, even though it's the holiday season, tough to be generous when it comes to what's going on in Cleveland. Yet another debacle. You were the CEO of the Raiders. You know the challenges of working in a front office. Brown's still winless. If you look at the schedule, good chance to go in 0-16. Beyond head coach Hugh Jackson, could the changes in Cleveland extend into the front office, include team executives this time? Well, you know, we were talking this talking about this topic on our show yesterday and I noted that in the years since Eli became the starting quarterback in New York and through his 210 consecutive starts Cleveland started 24 different quarterbacks and that's just a mind-blowing statistic and there's something systemic there that needs to be addressed Uh, were I the owner, I would be looking at making some very sweeping changes. Maybe they are, you know, maybe people are replaced. Maybe there are simply additions, um, how the staff interacts. But I know this, you have to have on staff people who can evaluate talent. Because Al Davis said this to me more times than I can count over that almost 30 years I spent with him. The players are the game. And we can talk all we want about different things impacting wins and losses. At the end of the day, you have to have players. And some of the players that organization has let walk in the last few years, Um, some of the personnel decisions are head-scratching. So the first thing I would look to address is, do we have the right people on staff making the right decisions about our roster, or do we need to supplement that or fix that? Amy, great information as always. I'm encouraging Cordell to 
put that down he owes you in a box and send it to you this year as a holiday gift. You know, thank you for raising that because I was going to sign off by both thanking you for including me in your conversation. I always love speaking with you men. And by saying goodbye to Mr. Owes Me a Fourth Down. <laughs> I got you covered. Don't worry. One thing you know Thanks, for sure. I'm not letting that go, Cordell. I'm you will forever have a go. down left. I promise. Thank you very much. Amy, even though I only went to Stanford, I have a good memory. I had a sense you might conclude the conversation with that tidbit. Um, Well, thank you very, very much. And because you just referenced your education at that adorable little junior college, I will end the conversation by saying the band is on the field. Thank you. Does it matter what the graduate school at USC? Can we end on a high note? We can always end on a high note no matter what. Thank you, Amy. Happy holidays. Thank you to you, too. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And we'll be right back with more after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Gold, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. In and touchdown. From week one to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game. We'll have home calls as teams are threatening to score. Take it to block. Brady tosses. Touchdown. Hear every big play. Hear every game-winning drop. It's a touchdown. It's a touchdown. Catch NFL First and Goal every Sunday, starting at 1 Eastern, only on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's spotlight the Giants making the first head coaching change of the season. We jump right in in New York City, Cordell. It's official. The Giants have fired both head coach Ben McAdoo and GM Jerry Reese. Well done. Well done by Mr. Mara, uh, because how they handled Eli Manning, I thought was about as disrespectful slash distasteful as it could possibly be. No class whatsoever. Uh, Worst case scenario, what you do is you leave him on the football field for the next few games of the season and then move forward into the offseason with what you want to do because of what Eli meant to that organization. I know things hadn't been consistent, and I know there was 26 consecutive drives without being able to get a touchdown, and the only touchdown you end up getting, or the next one, the 27th, was by Orleans Darqua. And so when you look at that, it, it, it goes to show you the, the, the level of, of, of ineffective play that was happening on the offensive side of the football, uh, but most importantly, something that they were trying to change. But I thought they went in the wrong direction as far as that change was concerned by going to Geno Smith, who didn't play a bad game. But I think when you look at the, let's just say, the moxie of the Eli Manning and what he's done for this organization, you couldn't touch him. If anything, you go somewhere else. If anything, you, you, you talk about what you need uh, at the quarterback position for as the play is concerned. You talk about where the lack of blocking is it's taking place. You talk about the, the lack of attention to detail about the entire football team. You don't pick out that one guy, not that guy, because if anything, he gave you more hope than anything. And, and I think to make that move in the Mara family, uh, not knowing exactly what was going on, which just finds find, find me a little befuddled just a little bit, um, it, it makes you wonder... Um, who really was the one that said it was okay? Was it was it Reese or was it McAdoo, the one that was doing it on his own? I think to find out what happened, the best thing to do, get rid of both of them and move forward and get ready for the future. And I think that's what this organization is trying to do. They're just trying to clean house and uh, just move forward to figure it out because the last time they made a move like this, 
during the regular season, I think goes back to 1976. I was just four years old. You like the name? The legendary Bill Arnsberger was released. There you go. Mid-season, said goodbye, you're not going to make it to the end of the season. So you're right. This is not a typical giant move, but it's highly justified. In 20 minutes, we take you round the league with DJ Shockley, the former Falcons quarterback, our standard Monday conversation on the way. The audio is going to tell a lot of this story. Let's start yesterday post-game in Oakland after the Giants' latest loss to the Raiders. Eli Manning was asked about a tumultuous week in New York City. I don't blame anybody for the way it was it was handled. I think, uh, I mean, I think Coach McAdoo, you know, tried to do um, something right by me by saying, "Hey, we're, we're let you we're let you play," um, but just the, uh, you know, just knowing I was gonna come out of the game, I just I couldn't I couldn't um, play that way. You know, I appreciated it. You know, I thought he was trying to be uh, do me do me a favor, um, but it just wasn't. It's just not the way um, I could I could go into a game knowing I'm be be pulled out. Yesterday, then-head coach Ben McAdoo was asked about his coaching future, and he delivered an answer that's going to live in infamy. I'm going to coach this team as long as uh, my key card works. You know, uh, got a great group of players, the coaches, got a great staff to work with. Uh, I want to show up ready to go tomorrow and uh, get this thing cleaned up and move on to the next one. Well, apparently Coach McAdoo no longer has that key card based on the announcement this morning. Let's hear from Giant CEO John Mara explaining to the New York media why he made the decision. Steve Tish and I met um, after the game uh, yesterday and agreed to talk uh, this morning, uh, which we did. And we agreed that uh, wholesale changes uh, needed to be made uh, to this organization to get us back to uh, the team that we expect to be. And we also agreed that it was pointless uh, to wait any longer to make these changes. Mara offered more detailed thoughts on his now former head coach and GM. Remember, Jerry Reese, part of the giant organization that won a pair of Super Bowls. Both of these men, uh, contrary to what their public persona is sometimes, have been complete professionals uh, here. They always make decisions looking out for what they believe is in the best long-term interest of the franchise. They never complain about anything. They don't politic around the office. They communicate well with one another. Uh, And that's something that I'm very grateful to both of them for. Mara was asked, what was the proximate cause? What was the tipping point? Was this about the benching of Eli Manning last week? And he said there was no direct catalyst. Don't think there was any one final straw. I just think that the uh, where we are as a franchise right now, um, you know, we're two and ten. Um, we've kind of been spiraling out of control here. I just felt like we needed a complete overhaul. Finally, Mara was asked, will Eli Manning get his starting job back on Sunday when the Giants host the Cowboys? There's no decision, to my knowledge, that's been made on that yet. I assume he'll run it by me before he makes that decision. Well, according to reports, that decision has been made. Look for Eli to get the start Sunday divisional matchup against Dallas. The Giants will be guided by interim head coach Steve Spagnola, who is the defensive coordinator, who has limited head coaching experience, obviously did not work out for Steve when he got those head coaching opportunities. Cordell, the one thing I find interesting is this. Presumably, ownership signed off on the move to bench Eli. Now, we talked last week about the compromise they were trying to choreograph. Go to Eli and say, You can keep the starting job to keep the streak alive because that's one of the components of your Hall of Fame resume. But in the second half, we're going to make the move to Geno Smith or at some point the rookie Davis Webb. 
Eli understandably said, I'm not playing along with that. You can do whatever you want, but I'm not going to just go out there to keep the streak alive. What changed since that decision to today? I know it was a PR nightmare. I know the optics were challenging, but didn't ownership realize what was going to happen when they made that decision and allow Ben McAdoo to be the face of that decision? Well, it's like he opened the door, right, to, for, for there to be an opportunity uh, that Eli will be not, won't be in the game at some point in time, whether it's he start the game and come out at halftime, whichever it may be. And all of a sudden for it to happen, it sounds like everybody was surprised. Or now all of a sudden people get fired. You know? and, and, and maybe Mr. Meriden didn't, didn't, didn't go through the entire conversation in its totality to really figure out what they were going to do, but to go in this direction and I think get the backlash that he's gotten. Because think about even going back to the Colin Kaepernick time, right? You remember when there was conversations coming from a fan base indicating if you bring Colin Kaepernick in, we'll never come to a game again? And now all of a sudden the backlash, if that conversation that you just mentioned was had between the Mara, Mr. Mara and also Reese and, and McAdoo, if that conversation was had and all of a sudden now the backlash comes, like why the hell are you doing this? You're getting ready for 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 Geno Smith and you know, you you're cutting the streak for who and for what? You know, David Swab, whoever it may be. And all of a sudden now, all of a sudden, Eli, he gets on television, even when finding out that he uh, wasn't playing and you saw him trying to hold back his tears. I went watching him. You know, this one is this was an extremely emotional moment for this football team, for former players, even pundits who were covering this show, covering the covering what took place on their show. I mean, it, it's been tough. And here it is. McAdoo stands up here with his chest, you know, like he's Lou Ferrigno or somebody, you know, really big and, and muscular and a bad guy. Urgh. Like, yeah, I'm doing what's best for the team. And you say that towards Eli. <laughs> really? And he took he gave you two Super Bowl rings. And MVPs? I mean, come on. You can't do that. And so I, I, I wonder, you know, by this happening the way it did, uh, did Mr. Mara end up seeing this and saying to himself, I have to do something and maybe make one of the tougher decisions uh, that I ever could make? I mean, he mentioned it about Jerry Reese, the GM, and saying it was one of the toughest decisions he's ever had to make when, when it came down to letting someone go because of the family and everything Jerry Reese was explaining about his family. This was what Mr. Merritt was saying here on NFL Network, basically saying that, you know, that, that that move was a very tough one for him to have to make, but it had to be made because here it was, they were going to get rid of, they're, they're trying to, in so many ways, get rid of Eli Manning a little bit sooner than maybe they wanted to. And so when understanding that, it ended up backfiring, and here it is, Jerry Reese and Ben McAdoo uh, are not head coach. I mean, he did talk about his fob actually working, right, when he went back to work today? Card, yeah. How'd that work out? Mm. It's key fob. How'd that work out? Got to be careful. I thought even going all the way back early in the season when Ben McAdoo called out Eli Manning's name as well as the center when they had that delay a game on, what was it? On the goal line. Yeah, against the Lions on, the goal on a line. Monday night. Yeah. And you, 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 you come out in the interview and you call him out directly. It wasn't an indirect message. It was a direct message. You, you can't do that. You can't do that. I don't care. You just don't do it. I've never seen a heck. Steve Bashotti, the owner of the Baltimore Ravens. What did he say about Joe Flacco? Nothing. All he said was we need better play at the quarterback position. We get the message. The subliminal message was trout. All you have to say, is, we can't get a delay on the, on the, on the one yard line. We just can't do it. It's unacceptable. 
I think that message would carry a little bit further. And then you get to the point where you mentioned, you know, guys should be inspired because of the paychecks that they get. Inspire yourself. That's not a head coach. That's not a head coach. So I, I just think it's it was long overdue, in my opinion. Oh, I'm with you. Completely defensible. I'm long just overdue. wondering what the Mara and Tish family thought was going to happen when they presumably agreed as owners we're moving on from Eli Manning. Well, unfortunately for them, they can't fire themselves. <laughs> unfortunately. But they didn't see this coming? They didn't think of there was going to be an avalanche well, of well, this public outcry? This is what I think. I'm thinking more or less it was going to be one of those cases where Eli starts the game off, there's no momentum, there's no nothing. I mean, 26 consecutive uh, uh, drives, or well, yeah, 26 consecutive times you had an opportunity to get the football and you didn't score one single touchdown. I think at the end of the day, 26 consecutive possessions and you can't score a touchdown? Something's wrong there. So I understand what you're trying to do because they're not wrong for saying, okay, Eli, we're going to put someone else in at a certain point in time of the game. But to say we're moving forward to give these other guys an opportunity and doing what's best for the team moving forward because we want to see what direction we need to go in, whether it's with Davis Webb for the future or even a Geno Smith. That that was the message. And I think that's the message uh, that may have cost cost the family off guard uh, because that wasn't the direction that they were trying to go in. They were going in the direction of, okay, if you're thinking about doing okay, it's a thought. All right, no problem. I get it. If it's done in the second quarter, if it's done in the third quarter, they try to bring a little, you know, fire, you know, to the seat to the players and maybe, you know, charge it up just a little bit more to, to see if we can get a little more mobility, you know, added into how they how they play on offense because their inability to do anything with what they have. I, I get all that. But when you get to the point where you preface it by basically sounding as if Eli Manning is the problem and we're moving forward because we want to put the guys on the field that gives us a better chance to win, Geno Smith is not that answer. He looked good. He didn't look bad in the last game. But far as playing much better football, the end result was the same. Because in order to, when you make this move, you're looking for a win. You're not looking for a better play. You're not looking for not throwing interceptions. You're not looking for, oh, he threw the comeback a little bit better. You're not looking for trajectory of the ball. No, you're not looking for that. Oh, the spin on the ball. You're not looking for that. You're looking for W's. Why are the Giants looking for wins, Cordell? They should be losing. They should be maximizing their draft possibilities so they can draft Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen. They need the quarterback of the future, and there are two marquee names if you believe Darnold's coming out, and I do. Why don't you go all in to try to compete with Cleveland and San Francisco to get the number one overall pick? Well, they screwed up everything else. They screwed this up, too. They had an opportunity to get that chance. You take Eli out, now the message is going in a totally different direction. As opposed to, we're going to stick with what we're doing. The fan base wouldn't have booed it. They wouldn't have been frustrated. They love Eli up there in that city. You see how they're reacting to everything? They could have kept everything status quo, interchanged the running back position, maybe create a different formation and forgetting that you've lost two of your better receivers. Shepard is on the field by himself trying to get it done. I mean, it's not Eli's fault. They still have a chance. I mean, they lost this last game. What you think they're going to do under uh, Coach Spagnola? They're going to probably end up putting Eli in. And what you think the end result is going to be there? Playing against the Dallas Cowboys. Going to lose that one too. <laughs> They're going to lose that one too. So I just look at this to say that it's going to be one of those cases. And they're playing at home. It's one of those cases where I, I think Jerry Reese and also Ben McAdoo, I think in their meeting, um, they, they came up with a bad idea. 
because it ended up backfiring. And here it is. They're no longer with their KFOP being able to get back into the facility, and they won't do them like they did Coach Tom Coughlin. They won't get a locker to continue <laughs> no, to work out. Ben They're McAdoo back. will not be working out at the facility using the blow dryer no, on his no very special like hair. <laughs> Here's the other issue. You mentioned what's coming up me, on bro. Sunday. I'm going after the hair, yes. Dallas is coming to the Meadowlands. That's one of three home games in the final four games of the regular season. And after you joined us yesterday on First and Goal on TuneIn Premium, Peter King pointed out in our weekly conversation with the best NFL insider is going to join us tomorrow from the MMQB, that there were reports that Giant fans were already planning protests in the parking lot for next weekend. They were going to burn tickets. They were going to have banners flying over the stadium. Mm. So I feel like, this is pretty self-evident, the Mara family, the Tisch family felt like, we got to do something. This is spiraling out of control. If they want Eli, we'll put Eli back on the field. We have to salvage a little bit of dignity down the stretch. Yeah, and I'm hearing some players might come in rocking the Eli Manning jersey. I read that too. Well, he's going to be the starter, so now it's a sign of solidarity. Hey, so which one do you pick? That that Eli or this Eli? Which one do you want? You know, these guys are going to wear number 10. How does this work? So they all get fined, right, because they wear the wrong jersey. How does that work? Do they put their own name on the back or they just wear it actually to the locker room? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So it's going to be funny to see how that actually ends up. Because if they were to rock the Eli Manning jersey, I wonder if they try to force the issue to wear it in the game. How about that? How would that work out? That's going to be. I don't think impressive. anyone's writing that check. And ask Coach Ben McAdoo how's he how is he inspired right now? Ask Ben McAdoo how is he inspired. He's inspired after that. Watch what you say, man. Got to be careful. You get inspired because you get a paycheck. You're a head coach. The team is going in disarray. Come on. And now here it is, you, you end up sitting, Eli, you really don't have a, a true reason. You just, we're trying to make the team better. How? Doing what? That's not the reason. And I'm not throwing Geno Smith under the bus. But that's not the reason. That position is not the reason why this team is not succeeding. It's mainly because of the head coach and his inability to coach the football team. That's why he's fired. I thought he should have been fired five to, at least six to seven weeks ago. No, you said a long time ago. You also said that something Eli, that was salient. Some coaches are coordinators. Some coaches are head coaches. Clearly, Ben McAdoo yeah. was never Perfect. suited to be the head coach. Yes. Never. He got the opportunity because he was a somewhat, let's just say, the next guy up or maybe the one that was nearest to the organization from an understanding standpoint of how they do things there in New York because he's been there with um, what's he he's been there correct me if I'm wrong ever since Kevin uh, Gilbright left a couple years ago they lured him from Green Bay and according to reports when Tom Coughlin was pushed out Eli was very supportive of Ben McAdoo getting promoted to become the head coach and how'd that work out how'd that work out Eli oh Eli's getting his starting job back and coach doesn't have his key card no more (laughs) <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder how he's gonna he's gonna look at I wonder what I wonder what Eli really wants to say to the media about what really happened because because you know after that game Eli didn't look as drained let's just say he didn't look as drained as he did uh, when the decision was made to move forward he looked as if either he didn't care or he was you know put in position to, to, to be a little bit more lighthearted, um, vilified, whichever you choose to use, um, because he didn't look the same. And I mean, 
in a positive way. Uh, he didn't look as if, again, as he was drained. And so I just, it's, it's pretty interesting, man, because when players go through that kind of type of stuff, I know it's a football game, and I understand it's a business as well. And there's a tough side of this, this football game that a lot of athletes don't like to deal with, but love the, the opportunity and reaping the benefits from, which is the business side. If you play well, you get paid well. You stay healthy, you play long. You know, you win enough, you win championships and all the perks that comes with it. And right now, they, they're, they're, you know, it's a side of the business that's really not what I think most players want to deal with, with that player. I mean, there's a part of this that says that that is the Manning family now. I mean, you don't say that for every case and situation in the National Football League. I mean, that's a football family. And when you feel like you have a, a, a big enough pair to do something like that, you know, you have to get prepared to get that same thing in return. And I, and I think that's what the Mara family end up doing to this situation. Let, it, let them know that while, yeah, okay, I understand that Eli's not playing good. 26 possessions without a TD for that offense? That offense? I get it. I totally get it. But the reason you did it, though, and the things you said afterwards, that's the part that has me with a bad taste in my mouth about it. So they, that, that's the least thing they could have done with Ben McAdoo. Jerry Reese, I think he just fell into the matrix of it to allow him to do it. Come on. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. It was bad. Final thought, and we talked about this so much last week, but the audience is always changing. Clearly, the decision to bench Manning was justifiable. Look at his numbers. And the Giants, in my mind, are moving on from Eli in the offseason, but perception is reality. You had to think about the fallout, the consequences, the ramifications. And the Giants butchered this every step of the way. And now it's cost both the GM, Jerry Reese, who has a pair of Super Bowl rings, and Ben McAdoo, who was leaving either way, their jobs now. Defensive coordinator Steve Spagnola, former head coach of the Rams, interim head coach Sunday. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. With more than 30 First Play podcasts on TuneIn, you can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows before they're available anywhere else. Hey there, it's Mike Rowe. This is The Way I Heard It, the only podcast for the curious mind. With a short attention span, we're at episode number 83, incredibly. I'm Jack Hitt. And I'm Chinjirai Kumanyika. This is Uncivil. Where we ransack America's history. And discover that the past is never really past. From the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. And beaming out across all of space and time. This is Star Talk. Where science and pop culture collide. Search First Play Podcasts and listen early, listen often, and listen today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's take you around the league with DJ Shockley, the former Falcons quarterback. DJ, we appreciate you taking the time. No doubt the Vikings have a tremendous defense, but why do you think the Falcons couldn't get the ball to Julio Jones at all? I'll take you back to a week ago. You'll recall he had better than 250 receiving yards yesterday, merely two grabs. Yeah, you know what, B-Webb, it was one of those types of games where it usually happens like that for Julio. He has a a big monster game, and then the week after or two weeks, uh, he's kind of limping a little bit, but 
uh, coming to that ball game, you knew Xavier Rose was, was going to get the uh, the matchup with Julio, and I thought he was real physical with Julio. I thought uh, they did cloud him sometimes. They did put some uh, different schemes on top of him to force other guys to maybe get the football and take Matt's eyes away from him pre-snap so that it goes away. Uh, but I thought their defensive backs were very physical on the back end, and they forced the Falcons into a lot of third-long situations. This was a game offensively for the Falcons that some of the stuff that happened early in the year kind of reared his head with some of the you know penalties, the holding calls. They actually had a couple good runs versus Minnesota defense, and they were called back from holding calls. And obviously that's because of what Minnesota does to you. But uh, this was a game where offensively you just were not clicking, and their average on third down was 7.3. So going against a defense like that who was pretty good on third down coming into the ball game already, one of the tops in the league, uh, you're not going to be successful at all really trying to force the ball down the field and they get after you up front as well. Let's really call it what it really is. It was They were one of ten on third yeah. down conversions. But this defense has really been playing some good football. You mentioned Xavier Rhodes and Kendricks as well as Smith, Harrison Smith. I mean, these guys are really being the catalyst and the reason why this defense is playing so good. Give me your take on if they can continue to play this way, uh, how hard would it be uh, to be able to beat a team like this because they stopped the Rams from being successful. They stopped uh, the Washington Redskins from being successful and many other teams that had pretty decent offenses. They can keep this going. How good could they really be? Oh, man. I mean, I, I think they can be a really good team that can win some games in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, as we both know, once you get clicking and things get going in December and January and you start to feel they catch a rhythm, and this defense has definitely found some confidence. And you just mentioned some of the matchups that they've gone against, some teams that really like to run the football, like the Rams with the Todd Gurley. You come here with the Falcons, they get Devontae Freeman back, and they still kind of stymie. This just is a defense that plays on the other side of the line of scrimmage. And with the amount of confidence they're building, it's only going to get better. And then you couple that with what they're doing offensively in case Keenum continually to play higher than a lot of people thought. I mean, this ball game, he was 25 of 30 and had a couple of touchdowns. He had five incompletions. He was really good on third down. So I think you go into this ball game and you look at how he played and then you say, well, if they can continue this, take care of the football like they've been doing, score points, and then their defense don't allow other teams to move the football or score points, that's a recipe for winning a lot of games. And that's what's going to have to happen, especially when you get into uh, January when you want to play some playoff football. DJ Shockley is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. DJ, let's look ahead to what's coming up on Thursday. Short week for the Falcons hosting the Saints. How do you see the matchup between the Falcons' defense and the Saints' revamp running game that ran wild against Carolina yesterday? <laughs> yeah, this is going to be an interesting matchup, uh, simply because you got the short week. Uh, you talk about the Saints coming in here with the big win over Carolina, looking at, hey, all we got to do is finish out this season and then we'll have this division wrapped up. And you talk about that run game. Obviously, Alvin Kamara has been big. I mean, he's second-leading receiver, second-leading rusher, over 600 yards in both categories. Uh, he's been a beast. And then you talk about Mark Ingram, what he's been doing. Uh, those two guys together have been big. And over the last three, four, five years, it's always been Drew Brees having to put everything on his shoulders. And I think now adding that run game to it, he doesn't have to do everything. And that makes life a little bit easier for Drew Brees. And then also – we come into this year not expecting this defense to play well, and each week they've continued to 
put some good performances out there and slow down opposing teams. So this is going to be an interesting matchup. I expect the Falcons to come out and play a lot better, especially offensively versus a unit that they know really well. And with their backs against the wall, pretty much, I mean, you look at what they have left, I think they got to win out. They want to get in the playoffs. And it starts on Thursday, and I believe it's a must-win, especially inside your division, if you want to go forward and play in the playoffs. When you look at the Kansas City Chiefs and also uh, you look at the Chargers, one team started off 5-0 and in Kansas City, the other started off at 0-4 in the Chargers. The Chargers right now has the mo- most momentum in that division. Do you think they can actually pull it off by completing this season uh, by winning at least the last four or maybe three of the last four games? I think so, man. I mean, you talk about the fire of Phillip Rivers, man. You, you, you hear about him not wanting to leave San Diego and threatening to retire and all that kind of stuff. Now he's kind of had a rejuvenation now. And this team is playing really well. They got some big wins. They had some, some tough battles where they had to fight it out at the end. And now they're in position to make the playoffs and continue to go forward. I think this team looks at this as a new start, not just for uh, their sales before this organization uh, to put their sons back out there and say, we still have what it takes to go a little bit further. And I like what the Rams are doing. I mean, not the Rams, excuse me. Uh, I like what Los Angeles is doing. So we'll see what happens uh, with, with Phillip Rivers and his team. But, hey, right now I like the way they're heading. He's Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber chatting with our pal DJ Shockley. DJ, as you watched Sunday Night Football last night from Seattle, did that game tell you more about the Seahawks or the Eagles? Philadelphia simply could not tackle Russell Wilson. Yeah, I think that's been a problem for everybody here. Russell's been the offense for Seattle all year long, and uh, coming to that ball game, you know you have to kind of uh, hammer heal him in a little bit because he's going to create, he's going to extend plays, and that's kind of been his M.O., uh, throughout this season, but I think it told you a lot about Seattle, especially with all the stuff they've had go on defensively, losing what they thought was a you know legion of boom, and nobody being able to you know run the ball or score on them. They have done a great job of winning at home, and now with them being in that sixth spot, they got a great chance of they got a great chance of really going forward and trying to solidify that sixth spot to go into the playoffs. So I think Philadelphia is still a really good football team. We know how hard it is to win in Seattle. But I, I like where Seattle's going right now, where they're looking, and uh, I think they still got a great chance of uh, solidifying one of those top two wild card spots. Aaron Rodgers may have an opportunity to play in, in the last two games of this season. Do you still feel they have a fighting chance of getting into the postseason by potentially getting the po- the wild card position? I, I don't think so, man. I, I think where they're at now. Obviously, they had a big one yesterday in overtime, but. You, you know, you're playing Tampa Bay, who's really, really down and uh, haven't really looked like themselves all year either. So uh, I know they're playing better of late, but I just don't see why you bring your franchise guy back out there for two more games, especially if you're in no sight of winning this division. You're talking about winning uh, a wild card spot. Well, the two teams that are ahead of you already have some tiebreakers over you, and they're fighting for it as well. I just think it's a tough stretch down the road to put your franchise guy in that position and go out and try to put this team on his back and do a little bit extra more than he's probably done to get his team to that point. So I, I don't see why Rodgers even goes out and tries to play, especially with the position they're in now and where they're headed. 
DJ, great information as always. As a proud Georgia alum, congratulations on the SEC championship and the Bulldogs going to the Final Four. Should we just put Alabama into the college football playoff next year, the year after? Because apparently we can't have a college football playoff if the Tide's not involved. Well, be well. first off, I appreciate you acknowledging my Bulldogs. That, that's really big. I appreciate that. My dogs fought hard. I'm really glad they got that big win. Got to go to Pasadena and play Oklahoma. But uh, at the end of the day, man, it's it's one of those conversations you go back and forth with conference champs versus a, a team that's one loss and who are the more deserving or top four teams. And right now I believe Alabama's probably better than Ohio State. So if you go off who's the top four teams, then it's Alabama. But I agree, last four years, it's all been Alabama. I'm sure people are tired of Alabama, but right now, until you beat them or knock them out or don't have them anywhere near, they're going to be somewhere near that playoff. And, hey, they got a chance, they probably get in. And why even have conference championships? Let's just put Alabama, <laughs> I think, in all four slots. Let's have Alabama's ones versus the twos, and then the freshman team can play in the other semifinal. How about that? Oh, be well. You sound like you're all Alabama out right there. No, because I'm a Pac-12 guy, and we'll have that conversation on my podcast inside the college so game no with B-Web. Pac-12 teams, and that's what it is. You're mad about USC, huh? Not really getting a, no. a fair shot. Is that it? They blew it with the loss of Notre Dame, but at least they scheduled Notre Dame. Alabama played Mercer <laughs> in the month of November, as you recall. But that's for my podcast, DJ. Mer- I'm going to reach out, all right? Mercer's not good enough for you. Mercer's not quality enough opponent for you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play Presbyterian <laughs> next week. Thank you, DJ. I'd be well. Be good. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Hey, this is Peter King from the MMQB. Listen to the NFL on TuneIn each Tuesday as I join Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart on NFL No Huddle. Over the shoulder, catch of the five, inside the pylon, touchdown! We'll cover the hottest storylines from around the league and preview each week's biggest games. So catch NFL No Huddle weekdays from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern, only on TuneIn. TuneIn is your home for the National Football League. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for Cordell and I to go on the record with what we are more than sure is going to happen on Monday Night Football. It takes a unique ability to navigate the topsy-turvy National Football League. Drop down, get your eagle on on this one. A special vision to find clarity in an always changing sport. I was wrong. Brian and Cordell aren't just sure about their perspectives. They are more than sure. I'm more than sure. Week 13 concludes with Monday Night Football, the renewal of the rivalry between 9-2 Pittsburgh, 5-6 Cincinnati. Here's Big Ben on the matchup. I don't care what records are. When you're playing AFC North football, you throw a record, you throw where you're playing, all of it out the, the window. This is a very good defense. It's never given up 30 points that knows us very well. This is a, a big test for us. That's why we're, we're so focused on this game being our biggest game of the year. Cordell, Antonio Brown, Gimpy with the toe issue, but we know the Steelers have a variety of weapons. They're going after their seventh consecutive victory, trying to keep pace with the Patriots, who beat Buffalo yesterday to get their 10th win. That's what Pittsburgh's trying to do. Who's going to win tonight and why? And do you think it'll be close? Because you have lived this rivalry, and this game's in Cincinnati. This is one of those games that you can't take for granted. Um, Cincinnati could sit there and look like they're five and six, but when it comes to playing the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, they play as if they every bit of, let's just say, eight and three or something like they're playing for something, maybe the division or something else. But 
they play really hard, man. The guys play hard. They hit you after plays. They play dirty sometimes. The Steelers struggle to an extent uh, because they can't get into the Evans and flows. They can't get into a rhythm and flow of the game, excuse me. Uh, but I'm going with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, the Steelers have a lot to play for. They have no choice but to win this football game to stay in the position they need to, which is one that uh, give them the head-to-head as we move forward in this month in this, in, on this, no, December 17th to determine their fate with the New England Patriots. I'm going with the Pittsburgh Steelers and his offense. Too much power. Defense much better. Ben Roethlisberger winning this football game 24-14. I'll raise the stakes. I'll go Steelers 28, Cincinnati 10, because tomorrow we'll be talking about the future of both Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton in Cincinnati. Remember, no more guaranteed money left on Dalton's mega deal. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in. Your everything audio app.